Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. It's Gary Parrish. It's Tuesday, April 12, 2022. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Island College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you're watching live on YouTube, please smash the like button like you're Brandon Davies. You have consent. When it comes to the uh, like button, you always have consent. So please smash. We thank you in advance. Dead leg. You know, one of the weird things, I was thinking about this last night about the the sport of college basketball is that some of the most interesting you know off the court developments they happen right in the middle of the NCAA tournament so they get overshadowed because we just we don't have time to deal with them talk about them but it's been a week now since Bill Self at Kansas won his second national title and unless you're like really into the transfer portal uh, things have slowed down in the sport considerably uh, so now we we got plenty of time and with that in mind we decided to spend this episode reviewing some of the coaching hires and discussing uh, some of the biggest moves that might in some way, in some places, reshape the sport. If you've got Norlander's coaching changes tracker bookmarked, you likely know two things. One, it's a 19-minute read. What do you want from me? (laughs) I got to give capsules on these things. There are are 54 coaching changes. Of course it's a 19-minute read. (laughs) Christmas. Now, <laughs> hold on though. It has it has evolved. If we went back three weeks ago, this thing, this puppy is a sweet old like nine minute read. Oh but wow! It changes. Don't worry. I'm gonna give it another edit. I'll try and get this down for UGP. I'm gonna try once Elon fills its spot by the end of the week, which I expect to happen. I'll try and get this puppy down to 15 minutes for you. Okay? It's fine. Like the little like the little bitty capsules are fine. I just wanted to goof on the fact I know, that. I know. I did notice when I clicked on it as a 19-minute read. The second thing you probably know is that there are 13 new coaches in what we generally regard as the best six conferences in college basketball. It's the five power conferences, uh, power five conferences, plus uh, the Big East. Um, It breaks down like this. Thad Mata is the new coach at Butler. John Shire is the new coach at Duke. Ty Golden, new coach at Florida. Mike White is the new coach at Georgia. Jerome Tang, new coach at Kansas State. Kenny Payne, new coach at Louisville. Matt McMahon, new coach at LSU. Kevin Willard's the new coach at Maryland. Chris Jans, new coach at Mississippi State. Dennis Gates, the new coach at Missouri. Shaheen Holloway is the new coach at Seton Hall. Lamont Paris, new coach at South Carolina. And Sean Miller is the new coach at Xavier. Deadleg, let's start with this question. Of those 13 new coaches at new places and power conferences, which one will be doing the best at his job, three years from today. Three years. Okay, so we're not we're not trying to predict like you know. Let's go ten years into the future and who's done the best. We're just trying to get a look, three years into the future, who will have done the best job. That's a, and it's all relative to expectation. Reminder as we get into this because there's a lot of, Parish. There's a lot of really intriguing hires. I go back to two months ago trying to figure out, trying to predict what jobs would open, what jobs wouldn't, looking at candidates. And at the time, thinking, all right, what kind of what kind of 
coaching candidates are out there for these jobs. Like, is this going to be a, a deal where we have, you know, seven or eight jobs open in the power conferences? And there might be one or two interesting names, but there might be just some, some, you know, hires that, that are made that you're kind of like, eh, that's not the case here. There's a ton. And I am including Shire, you know, to Duke, even though we've known he's the deal. He's actually officially, he's taken over in an official capacity as the head coach in the past week or so. In fact, just as we started this podcast, Emil Jefferson was as expected promoted to assistant coach at Duke there three years from now, I think relative to expectation is the important thing. If you want to say overall, who's done the best, I think your three biggest candidates are Sean Miller at Xavier, Thad Mata at Butler and John Shire at Duke. And the reason why I would say those three is, well, you take a look at what Sean Miller and Thad have done. Each have coached 17 seasons. Sean Miller's won 73% of his games. Thad Mata's won 74% of his games. Thad Mata has a 24-13 and NCAA tournament record, has obviously made a national championship game in multiple Final Fours. Sean Miller has made multiple Elite Eights, has a 19-11 and NCAA tournament record. Um, the last time he was at Xavier, Xavier was in a 10 school. He went 120-47 and 47 there. Overall, Sean Miller's won 422 games. Thad Mata's won 439. From a pure win percentage experience standpoint, Coaches that have been at those places, which is obviously a trope this season. You've got familiar faces returning to places they once were. It's them. And then it's John Shire, who seems to be dead set on uh, landing every imaginable five-star possible for ne- from now until all of eternity. Because what do I got two calls from coaches, one in the ACC, one outside the ACC in a power conference in the past 72 hours. And... Uh, one coach specifically called me to say John Shire is recruiting right now at a level that Mike Krzyzewski as the head coach never did. If you look at what he has done in the 2022 class and the 23 class, it's insane. Now we might see, I don't know if this is going to be the case. We might see a case where Nolan Smith, by virtue of having left Duke to go to Louisville, maybe we see one or two Duke commits go to Louisville. I don't know if that's going to be the case or not. There's been some buzz about that, but regardless Shire has to be right there with Miller and Thad to be the most successful next three years because of the pure talent coming into Duke, it's Duke. He's never been a head coach. I do think relative to expectation, the answers could be elsewhere. But big picture, GP, those got to be one, two, three in some sort of order, right? Yeah. I mean, like, who's just going to be doing the best three years from now? You know, without context or relative to expectations, just like who's going to be running the best basketball program? I I, I think it's got to be John Shire. A, he's got the best job. Of any of these people, True. he's got the best job. Like, you're, you're set up to win. Um, it doesn't mean you can't fail there, but I think any competent coach would win at Duke, just like I think any competent coach would win at, you know, Kentucky, at Kansas. You know, the, the, you're set up. You got to – You're gotta, not guaranteed. You're but, not guaranteed, but I, I think with few exceptions, if you do the job well, you're going to really do well. Duke is one of those jobs, and – as I've said a million times, you, you never know how an assistant coach is going to adapt to being a head coach on game days until you watch him do it over a period of time. Uh, there's a long list of guys I thought were going to be great head coaches while they were assistant coaches. And then, you know, for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. Um, so I always leave open that possibility. Uh, but you, you tell me this. Has any coach in the history of the sport set himself up to succeed immediately in his first job as well as John Shire has right now? That's an interesting question 
because well, most you, coaches are not in the situation John was where you've got a whole year to build toward before you take over. So right. this is a unique set of circumstances. I acknowledge it. It is. Uh, and this is not, this is not, you know, an A to B uh, analog kind of deal, but I remember writing, I wrote a column about it a year ago. Um, again, different school, different situation, but I actually thought that Drew Valentine, who returned everyone of importance off a Sweet 16 team, except for Cameron Crutweg, was better set up than any other coach going into last season because Loyola Chicago was a, was a top 25 Ken Palm team that had just won multiple games in the tournament. Valentine was on the staff, and he got everyone except Crutwig, which was the best player, to come back. Lo and behold, Loyola Chicago got back to the tournament, was a 10 seed. Um, there you go. Shire has been on staff he doesn't have all these players returning they're going to lose a lot of their guys so it's like what but he has the talent coming in so there is the unknown of the talent coming in but yes for shire to have this situation there are very few if any kind of parallels there and it's going to be super interesting i did see someone mention in the comps i did think about this recently a year ago john shire was interviewing for the depaul job you know and he didn't get it he didn't but it's just so fascinating to think about you know, the spot he was in versus where he is right now. It is is wild. And at 34, kind of goes without saying, but if you were not totally aware of this, John Shire will be the youngest head coach in a power conference uh, by a factor of two years. Uh, Todd Golden, who we'll get to in a few, at, at Florida, left San Francisco. He is 36. Like, if John gets that DePaul job, I think it's reasonable to assume he might not be the head coach of Duke right now. Um you know, I, I think Kay wanted John to be the head coach at Duke. So the whole, all the stuff about Tommy Amaker and it would be awkward and disruptive. I, I think that might've been to, you know, a way, okay. Like I know what I would prefer. Now let me try to um, be able to sell it to everybody in the way that it needs to be sold. Um, but if John's at DePaul and Tommy's at Harvard, then you don't have the John's already here to take over when I leave and spend the next year. It just, it, it's a much more complicated thing. And so it's always funny, like these things that you think are bad moments actually turn into blessings, uh, for lack of a better word. Uh, like I'm sure when John didn't get the DePaul job um, on some level, that was disappointing. It turns out it was probably the best thing that ever happened to him because now he's the head coach at Duke. It reminds me a little bit, a year before Josh Pastor got the Memphis job, he interviewed for Rice, I think. Couldn't get the Rice job. And then a year later, he's the head coach at Memphis. There's all sorts of these stories. We don't have enough time, but the sliding doors where coaches really, really want one. I'll give you another one. Ben Johnson at Minnesota. He interviewed for Northern Illinois, thought he was getting it, like really thought he was getting it, didn't get it. And it actually opens up where he's the head coach at, at Minnesota, where he's from and gets a power conference job. There's all sorts of yeah. these where it could have been one guy. It was, and he goes to a different situation. He's better off, worse off for it. It's, it's always an interesting thing to track behind the scenes. So now Shire is at Duke and he is set up. I mean, he's got the number one class in 2022, number one class in 2023. There's four or five-star prospects in each of those classes in 2022, Kansas and Arkansas are the only other schools that have at least three five stars in 2023, again, Duke's got four, five stars committed right now. Nobody else has more than one in the entire country. I mean, he is n killing it. Can we just, can we just like, and I think this is fine and all above board. There's got to be, in addition to just being Duke, like we got to figure there's some NIL situation here that is being promoted to, or these players understand it. Like this, this is so outpacing the rest of, of the field. 
again, Mike Krzyzewski wasn't recruiting at this level in advance against all of his other contempt. It's just, it's intriguing to me. That's all. I'm not yeah. saying anything like below boards happening. I'm just saying this in this NIL era, I think the message has quite clearly gotten across to players that are considering Duke. It is Duke that there are significant. I mean, Paulo Bancaro, I don't know how much he just made, but between having his face on a, on a bracket games with Yahoo, the, uh, the video game, um, was it 2K? I can't even remember. Like, he raked in serious money. Not exactly looking to publish it, but I think that's also a huge factor, particularly as it pertains to Duke, because it's the biggest brand in the sport. Yeah, and I don't even think John would hide from that. Um, like, it, it goes without saying that Duke should be able to flourish in the name, image, and likeness space. It's, if not the biggest brand in the sport, certainly one of the biggest brands in the sport. I would argue it's the biggest brand in the sport. Um, I know Kentucky fans would argue otherwise, but I... I I would argue it's the biggest brand of the sport. And in this name, image, and likeness era, um, of course, you're going to be able to, to to flourish if you're a Duke basketball player. And I, I'm confident that the Duke staff is making sure every prospect and prospect's family uh, understands as much. Like, John's a smart guy. You know, he understands this landscape. And so you've got a smart guy taking over, sure, at a young age, but I'm not concerned about that. Some of the uh, best coaches in the history of the sport were head coaches at a very young age. John Cal Calipari, Rick Patino, Billy Donovan, Brad Stevens. Uh, the age doesn't concern me at all. Uh, obviously, the roster building is incredible. Um, I, I, you know, I'll be surprised if John's not keeping Duke, you know, at the tip top of the sport uh, for the foreseeable future. This is a succession plan that I'm confident is going to go well. And like, literally, the guy could not be off to a better start with the off the court stuff into uh, from a relative to expectations perspective, obviously, you know, Sean, you know, is, I would assume is going to do well at Xavier. I mean, uh, yeah, it's Xavier. And, and I'm assuming Thad will do well at Butler. Uh, Chris Jans at Mississippi state, I think is going to do really well there. Um, like he absolutely killed it at New Mexico state, you know, 122 and 32 overall, uh, 64 and 13 in whack games. Uh, with the four NCAA tournaments in five years, the truth is he would have already been a power five power conference coach um, if not for the off-the-court incident at Bowling Green that cost him that job. Um, but he got a new opportunity at New Mexico State. Um, I mean, could not have realistically done better. And for, you know, this is sort of a cliche thing to say at this point, but it doesn't mean it's not true. Like, he seems like a great fit for Starkville, Mississippi. He seems like a great fit at Mississippi State. So, uh, obviously, the ceiling at Duke is a lot higher. Killing it at Duke looks a lot different than killing it at Mississippi State, I think. But I think he can kill it at Mississippi State. And killing it at Mississippi State would be, you know, getting it back to uh, a good place. Uh, a place unlike it's been, honestly, since, you know, Rick Stansberry was nudged out of there a long time ago. Yeah, and I'll save some of this for what we're going to get to in a second here. But as I look at the list of 13 coaches and new spots here, I this is not going to prove correct. But, man, so many of these fits, I really, really I, I do. And I resist even trying to, like, think that because there are going to be coaches that don't work out. A number of these coaches will eventually be fired. There could be a couple that wind up getting promoted to bigger spots. Um, but I, I got to say, at the power conference level, and we'll tag it at the end of this episode if you're a fan of, say, UMass, URI, Murray State. We'll, we'll get in a little bit on the uh, on the notable mid-major hirings as well. But at the power conference level, I'm just I'm I'm more uh, 
I'm more enthusiastic about this group collectively than I would have predicted I would have been two, three, four weeks ago. So six of these 13 new power conference hires actually happen in the SEC, which is kind of incredible. We're going to get to the SEC new hires next. Uh, but, but first, a word from our sponsors. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. So six of these 13 new power conference are in the SEC. It's Todd Gold at Florida, Mike White at Georgia, Matt McMahon at LSU, Chris Jans, Mississippi State, Dennis Gates, Missouri, Lamont Paris at South Carolina. Here's a question for you. Which of these coaches makes two NCAA tournaments first? Great question here. Six changes in a league. This, is, this isn't even a trivia time. This is an outsourcing to our listenership live on YouTube. If you have not already, please hit that like button. Smash it, please, if you could. Uh, I want to know the last time. <laughs> I want to know the last time a power conference had as many as six job changes in a given season. It's probably happened, but I don't know. Now, to your question, who wins two first? Who Makes two, not wins two games. Makes, makes two turns. Makes two. Let me run down. I'm going to run down the uh, the resumes of all six real quick here for you, and then I'll give you an answer. Mike White has 243 wins in his career in 11 seasons. 243 and 128. He has a 6-4 and NCAA tournament record and won 62% of his games at Florida, and he got nudged out. Chris Jans, you mentioned it before. I think you mentioned his NMSU record. I've got 143 and 44 overall in six seasons. He's made three tournaments, and it would have been, could have been four in 2020 if there was one, but there wasn't. Todd Golden is 57 and 36 in three seasons. He just brought San Francisco to its first tournament in 24 years. Again, he's just 36 years old. You've got Dennis Gates, who was 50 and 40 in three seasons at Cleveland State. He made the 2021 tournament after resurrecting that program. The Cleveland State situation, when he inherited it, was an outright disaster. He turned it around quick and was a hot commodity in the past two seasons. He finally gets a power conference job. 
Matt McMahon was 154 and 67 in seven seasons at Murray State. He made three NCAA tournaments and did a wonderful job there, obviously, in the OVC. Helped uh, basically trampoline that school into the Missouri Valley for next season, but he will not be there. Lamont Paris was 87 and 72 in five seasons at Chattanooga. He just made the NCAA tournament, almost beat Illinois. This His Chattanooga team led Illinois for like 59 minutes and 22 seconds of that game before losing in the closing minute there. Um, the first coach, to, how about, man, I do like, I, I'm going to say, how, I'm going to give you, man, I, how is it, how, how are we going against Golden right now? That uh, would be my pick. I, I think he's, like, I think all, all these guys are, are good coaches uh, who have accomplished something, right? They're, you don't get these jobs um, unless you've accomplished something and proven yourself. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I won't get into who's better and who's not. I think they're all good. I just think Todd's probably set up to, to win, uh, to make multiple NCAA tournaments more quickly than the rest of these guys. It's, it's the best job of the six, Florida. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that, yes. Okay. And, um, you know. So, and, some would say LSU. But not, you're facing but, sanctions. Right, right. But it, some would say all things even LSU is better. I actually would still yeah. take Florida over LSU, all things even, no sanctions. But I just, just for our listeners, some people would actually debate that LSU is the Right. I, I, I get it. It's debatable. I, 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 but it's not debatable under these set of circumstances uh, where Florida is not dealing with a pending NCAA case and LSU is. Um, Colin Castleton just announced he's coming back. Um, that's that's a, a big development for time. I, you know, I'm a fan of smart people and, 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 and like guys who are that I think they'd be successful, whatever they did. And they just happen to be college basketball coaches. Now this doesn't guarantee success. Obviously, you know, at the end of the day, you're not taking a standardized test. Uh, you're, you're, you're trying to uh, run a, a, a high major basketball program. Derek Dooley at Tennessee is an example that runs counter to what I'm telling you. I like really smart guy. Every time you heard him talk, he came across like a, this guy's well-read. He's an intellect. He's a smart guy. Couldn't do the job, you know, just couldn't do the job. Um, but but I'm, I, I start from a point of I, I'm, I believe in smart people. And I, I think Todd's a smart guy, a, a good basketball mind. And he's at a place where you're set up to win. I mean, I, I know Mike White kind of got nudged out of there um, or at least felt like he didn't, they didn't want him there anymore. But, like, he won there. I mean, maybe he didn't win as maybe he didn't win as much as you'd like if you're a Florida fan, and maybe uh, certainly he wasn't uh, Billy Donovan, but like he won there, and I don't see any reason why Ty Golden won't win at Florida as well. There are some skeptics on Golden to Florida. It's a huge jump from San Francisco to Florida. No doubt about it. I, I actually uh, he hired. We won't get into like the weeds on like a, uh, you know staff hirings and stuff like that. But I will say he hired Carlin Hartman, who he's known for a long time. Carlin Hartman, former Oklahoma assistant, spent the past season at UNLV. I think Carlin Hartman is a future head coach. Uh, if you told me he was a head coach in a year from now, I'd believe you. Um, so he's actually built a really good staff there. But just to kind of paint a, a fuller picture for our audience in talking with people around college basketball in recent weeks, the golden to Florida one has piqued a lot of interest because there are some that think it might be too big of a jump. Um, I don't know, but to, to your, you asked who will get to two NCAA tournaments first. I would narrowly say golden, but you know what? I wouldn't put Mike white that far behind it. And, and among the six hires. So this is, this is amalgamation of kind of what big picture, long-term, how these hires work. Um, and what people in the industry kind of feel, how we're ranking the hires in the SEC. So this is not strictly my opinion. This is me gathering info 
And some rank near the top are near the bottom of the list, and some near the bottom are near the top on the list. But I would say it goes like this. Mike White to Georgia being the best because he was good at Florida. And now he goes to a Georgia program that is historically irrelevant. I mean, it's had like seven seasons of no ever. Georgia's never good at men's college basketball. It's actually fascinating. Mike White might be the guy to change that. Again, 243 wins to his career. So it goes White, then Chris Jans. Then I would say it's probably Golden, narrowly ahead of Dennis Gates. And then you get to McMahon and Lamont Paris at the bottom. McMahon, because of all the sanctions, and it's also a huge jump. Some wonder if he is going to be ultimately the right guy for LSU. Again, I'm not saying that I think this, but I want to at least, you know, I'm not going to hop on here and, and here, here, Here's the thing people would whisper about LSU is that the way it's forever gotten done at LSU is Just the way it. it's forever I'll say gotten it if you won't. You can say it then. Okay. If you're going to win at LSU, you got to be wired to be a cheater. And Matt McMahon is does not carry that reputation whatsoever. That's basically it. But, That's but, basically but, it. But now let's say this. What if uh, what you used to have to do to get players at LSU – is legal now. You could just, right. you know, you could, you, or, you just, however, yeah. Yeah. However, yeah. That's, that's an ongoing discussion of like, what's cheating anymore anyway. And right. Like, and so there are some coaches that still think like, you know, blatantly inducing players with, with all this money is still a little improper. And some people are like, whatever, it's just, you know, I don't know. Anyway, McMahon doesn't, he's not, he, I think, I think it's a great fit. In fact, there was a lot of curiosity if it was McMahon to Missouri, Dennis Gates gets it. Um, so, so we'll see, but yeah. Um, and then Lamont Paris just has, uh, Lamont, he's five seasons of Chattanooga, 87, 72, just made the tournament there. South Carolina's search was a mess. And so I think there's the most uncertainty there specifically only because the process to get there. Remember they wanted Sean Miller. Um, but man, I, I think Dennis Gates is sneaky that if he wound up being the best, he's Dennis Gates is, is not like, he's not a guy who's looking to, uh, self-promote, give a great quote, but I think he's got a chance, a longtime disciple of Leonard Hamilton. He's right. got a real shot. At, and I know Missouri fans are like, please, can we? Can the next guy be the guy? We'll see. He did a really good job at Cleveland State. Uh, he did interview at other places. Those places, you know, didn't offer him a job. Missouri was the spot there. But I think big picture, I think Mike White is the most, some would say Jans. Some might even say Matt McMahon. I had one coach tell me that he thinks that we will look up in like 10 years and yeah, McMahon's going to be the one that lasts from this and he's going to be the one that that stays. I, you know, I had an, another say it, it's going to be Gates. Gates is going to be the guy. I think Mike White, because he has won 243 games in his career, that he made the tournament more years than not at Florida, won 62% of his games there. He's my bet for the best long-term, long-term because of, again, entry point is a big time deal expectations it's all relevant george is nothing so i think that he's he he's going to have the best chance of being the best coach um listen so here's the, i don't have much interest in getting into predicting failure for any of these guys because it, it, none of us ever know i mean you get some right you get some wrong it, it it seems i don't know as i've gotten older i just don't have much interest in like crapping on any of these hires um all of these guys um again, have accomplished something to even find themselves in this position to be the head coach of an SC. Like that in and of itself is amazing. No matter where it goes from here, yes, you're, you're, you have reached a point in your profession that almost nobody else reaches, which is you're a head coach in a power conference. So, but, but like they can't all succeed. 
They won't. And it's not going to happen. Right. It's just not, again, we can, it's just not going to happen. Every single year, Parrish, we go through this. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so they're not all going to succeed. Some of these guys are going to be fired in four years. And some of these guys are going to get contract extensions in two years. And, you know, I I could guess on uh, who's who, but it would just be a guess. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I, like, I I believe in Chris James because I've seen him when you just absolutely kill it at a job relative to your league. Um, and Jan's like, he, he understands how to navigate all the things you've got to navigate at a place like Mississippi state. Like, I believe in that one. He is willing. That's also the toughest job in the league. So no, people say that. What is tougher? South Carolina. South. Uh, I don't know. South Carolina is tougher. I feel like, I feel like Mississippi state, but you could have a case. You could have a case. There's a case. Historically, maybe South Carolina. You know Starkville better than I. That's for sure. So you can speak to that. It's an interesting place. <laughs> it's an interesting place. Um, yeah. But I think he, I, like, I believe in Chris Jans. Um, you know, I think Todd Golden's got the best job of these jobs. So, like, I, I would bet on him doing well just because I would bet on, I would bet on the Florida. I, w- I just bet on the Florida coach, right? Right. And so, um, but, like, some of these guys, are, it, it's going to be tough. I mean, the SEC is ridiculous right now. It's absurd. We're not even talking about the guys already employed at their current schools. Yeah. Arkansas is a case as a top-five team next season, let alone the traditional powers. Wow. Right. So, yeah, I mean, when you – because, um, you know, you start looking at a, at a place like Missouri, right? Mm-hmm. And Dennis Gates, like, he was great. Back-to-back Horizon League titles. Like he's done everything you you I think he's got a good shot. I do, man. Yeah, you think of everything you need to do to set yourself up to get a job like this, and then have people believe in you. Like Dennis Gates has done those things, but then like start trying to figure out where Missouri is relative to other SEC schools. Like I I, I someone's got to finish eleventh. I get what you're that, getting at here. Yeah, that's the thing. I know every year somebody's going to finish eleventh, and it's going to be somebody who's a good basketball coach. That's the problem with these leagues expanding. And People wait till don't talk about this enough. I'm trying to tell you, dead leg. Like, and wait till Texas and Oklahoma get over there. Now where? Now, now where are you? Right? Now, now, now a good a, a guy who is a well-respected, quality, accomplished basketball coach is gonna finish 13th in that league. That's tough. It's a hard way to make a lot of money. It, it absolutely is. We got some uh, SEC chatter, uh, city chatter. If anyone wants to go ahead and rank the 14 SEC college towns slash cities, by all means, I want to hear your opinions. I have never been to Columbia, South Carolina, and I've never been to Chester, South Carolina. Perhaps <laughs> one day that will be amended. I'd love to go to Chester, South Carolina. Let's move on. There's three first-time head coaches at the power conference level. It's John Shire at Duke, Jerome Tang at Kansas State, and Kenny Payne at Louisville. We've talked about Shire. I think we're both on board. We think he's going to keep Duke operating um, at an extremely high level. Obviously, recruiting's off the charts. So let's focus on Jerome Tang and Kenny Payne. First and foremost, uh, just happy for these are two longtime mm-hmm. assistant coaches who, for whatever reason, couldn't get a shot um, when. Assistant coaches with comparable bios were were getting one shot after another. So, like, let's just stop there for a second. I'm fine. I'm 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 glad this finally happened for both of these guys. Um, yes. You know, I, I I know Jerome better than I know Kenny, uh, but th- these are two guys who have worked on some of the best staffs 
in the country for some of the best coaches in the country. And uh, it was long past time for both of them to get an opportunity. And they both got great opportunities. Like if you, you know, typically you're an assistant coach, you don't get a power conference job, much less a good power conference job as your first job. And yet Jerome Tang did, you know, of all those Baylor assistants mm-hmm. uh, over the years, like he was the last one to get a real shot at becoming a head coach, but you can argue he got the best first job out of all of them at Kansas state. And then obviously when your first head coaching job is Louisville, I mean, that is absolutely tremendous. And now, yes. you know, Kenny Payne was able to position himself for that because he's a prominent former player and we've seen prominent former players get these opportunities um, a lot in recent years. Juwan Howard at Michigan, Penny Hardaway at Memphis, Patrick Ewing at Georgetown. Some of them are going better than, than others, but um, these are two hires that, you know, again, I don't, we'll see how they go, but I'm glad both of those men got these great opportunities. And, you know, I, I I'd like to see both of them do well. Payne and Tang are both minorities, obviously five of the 13. Yeah, that's what I was talking around, by the way, if you couldn't pick I, up on it. I know I can. I'll say a play. I mean, we got five of 13 that are minorities and and Payne is the first black coach in the history of, of Louisville men's basketball, which is a significant deal. So we can we can say for what it is. And this has been a discussion point. What was interesting was like, you know, I remember talking with a number of black coaches four or six years ago about, you know, what's finally getting to be an improved situation here, hire the right man for the job, but you know, make sure your hiring process is, is authentic and and real. We can see how that hasn't been the case at the NFL. I won't digress into, uh, into that, but what we are seeing here as people take this more seriously as the process plays out and we are getting more minorities with opportunities. And it is a big deal in that city for Kenny Payne to get that job because of who he is, but also the fact that, and I'm just speaking to the fact of talking to people around the program and in that city, they finally have a black coach leading that program in the city of Louisville, which has a heavy minority presence and fan support there um, for him to finally get this opportunity. And and then, oh, by the way, we'll get more of this in the off season. I think I mentioned it on a recent pod. Kenny Payne, you know, he's never been head coach, but what he's been able to do on the bench in college, uh, both as a tactician, as a recruiter, like there is going to be a viable recruiting rivalry that enhances between Kentucky and Louisville. And it will start with DJ Wagner, who's rated per 247 as number one prospect in next year's class. Which like, is, this is going to be a fascinating story to watch. Awesome, man. Like just in terms of storyline, man. Because, because, go ahead, GP. But uh, yeah. Wagner's, you know, grandfather played at Louisville, so right. that's that's part of the backdrop of all well, this. Well, well, like, yeah, let me walk people through it who might not be familiar. DJ Wagner, number one prospect in the class of 2023, awesome prospect. Like, I, I sometimes we see number one rated prospects or top five guys, and you can reasonably disagree on them. Like, I'm not as high on this guy as some people are. Whatever. I don't think there's really that much of a difference of opinion on DJ Wagner. Have you ever heard anybody who say they don't love him? I haven't heard anyone say they don't love him. I did hear from a couple of people that said Wagner's the number one player in this class, but the class that he's actually in is like one of the worst of the past decade. <laughs> I feel like people say that every year. I, I, I'm not even saying you're wrong on that, but I did happen to hear a little more of that recently. So okay. no, I, I think he is. I think he is built to step in and be one of the five best freshmen when he gets to college. I, I think he's got the game that I just don't see him failing once he gets to college. Maybe five best players in yeah, what would probably good. be just one year of college. So he, of course, is the son of DeWan Wagner, who was, you know, a number one ranked high school player, you know, when, when he was uh, 
uh, entering college, went to Memphis to play for John Calipari. The backstory there is that John had spent time on Larry Brown's staff with the Sixers after he was fired by the Nets. And of course, you know, Philly is, you know, right next to Camden. Um, and so John was, it was basically set up. John Calipari was getting back into college coaching. He was going to take the best job available. I believe it came down to Missouri or Memphis. He picked Memphis and he was going to get a commitment from Dewan Wagner. This was all done. He hires Bill Wagner, who is, you know, Wani's father and DJ's grandfather, former Louisville star, hires Bilt and uh, puts Arthur Barclay, who was Wani's best friend, still is to this day, uh, from Camden, New Jersey, puts him on scholarship. So you've got Milt and Arthur Barclay at Memphis, and then Wani comes the next year. And then, you know, he had some health-related issues that, you know, made his NBA career less than it, it should have been. Um, but he has stayed active in basketball circles. And now, and you did a really nice story on this last summer, has done an incredible job, you know, raising DJ Wagner, who is now a star at Camden High, just like his father was, just like his grandfather was. It has been assumed for years that DJ Wagner would eventually go to Kentucky and play for John Calipari. And he still might. But Kenny Payne getting hired at Louisville really throws a wrench into this thing. Mm -hmm. Because Kenny Payne was teammates at Louisville with Milt Wagner. And Kenny Payne is super tight with Milt Wagner and with William Wesley, World Wide West, who was also instrumental uh, in the Dewan Wagner story, you know, 20 plus years ago. Like, I knew Wes before people realized he was World Wide West. In fact, I was introduced to him not as World Wide West or even William Wesley, but as Uncle Wes. Who is that? That's Wani's uncle. That's Uncle Wes. That's the, and then of course you find, you know, five years later, he's World Wide West in Drake songs and everything else. But at the time, he was just, I mean, it was just me and Wes sitting at the Finch Center watching practices every day. Like I rode to the NBA draft um, in a car with Wes in the Dewan Wagner draft. And um, so Wes is obviously tight with the family. Kenny Payne's tight with Wes. Kenny Payne's tight with Milt. And now this is the part that I think is interesting. For the second time in, I believe, a five-year span, John Calipari is at risk of losing a number one ranked player in the class that everybody assumed he was going to get based on a school making a hire who has a connection to that player. In 2019, James Wiseman was going to Kentucky. Then Memphis hires Penny. James Wiseman goes to Memphis. And now in the class of 2023, everybody had DJ going to Kentucky. But now with Kenny Payne at Louisville and the strong connection he has to that family, um, there's some real thought that he'll be able to get DJ Wagner to play at Louisville, just like DJ's grandfather did. It, it will be the most fascinating recruiting story to follow over the next year plus. You're absolutely right. And we'll, uh, we'll update that as necessary as we get into, uh, as we get into the off season there pain, uh, as mentioned, brought Nolan Smith on staff, which is 
uh, Nolan's father, uh, his late father, played there, which is obviously uh, significant, and that's not an easy decision for Nolan, but uh, but he wound up doing that. Also, add some intra ACC intrigue there, leaving Duke for for Louisville. How about this, by the way? I got some goodies for you right here. First of all, I don't know the backstory on this, but as I was just checking in on career records and just just general stuff, uh, I checked Kenny Payne's Wikipedia page. This is. Do you under do you know what this is about? This is how Kenny Payne's Wikipedia page. This is the first sentence of his Wikipedia page right now. Kenneth Victor Payne is an American professional basketball coach and former player who is the head men's basketball coach at the University of Louisville. Although Rick Bozich reports it is not yet a done deal. What's, what's going on there? I'm sure it's one of what's those. going on. That's, sure. the, that's on the wiki page. I'm sure it's one of those where, and I don't have any recollection of this. Um, Somebody reported Kenny Payne to Louisville's done, and then Bozich, who's a longtime uh, Louisville-based columnist, uh, must have you know done that thing that sometimes people do, which I just roll my eyes out every time. Like I never, um, I never do it, but I see people do it. It's like it's like it's not done yet. It's like it's done. Just shut up. You got you got you got beat on the story. It's done. Um, I, I just yeah. I, I did a control F for, for 40 and there's nothing on the Wikipedia. So Pat 40 is spared on Payne's Wikipedia page. But it's just it's just it's the first it's the first sentence. It sounds I, like somebody probably went and did that as a joke and then nobody ever did it. Back. I know. And no one edited it. So um, so it goes. Uh, so anyway, Payne is going to be super fascinating. Uh, Louisville obviously could have some more, you know, similar to LSU and McMahon. Louisville is going to probably have some more stuff coming. It's gonna. Who knows what it's going to be? That's that's the other element there. But won the '86 title, played from '89 to '93 in the NBA. Really, really good story. As for Tang, also never been a head coach, as you mentioned, was an assistant at Baylor from 2003 until just a few weeks ago. I mean, he had he more than paid his dues. Now he did turn. He did have other head coaching opportunities, but he turned them down, and then. You know, with the few days before the the announcement actually became official, it felt behind the scenes like Tang was going to be the guy for K-State. That winds up being it. I've got who I got some trivia time for you right now. Okay, let's go. He was born in Trinidad and Tobago. What's the closest country oh, to God. Trinidad and Tobago, not, Gary Parrish? I'm, I'm not doing that. What is the closest country to Trinidad and Tobago? And the live chat can give it a go too. Can you can you guess? No, you don't have any remote idea where Trinidad and Tobago is located. Sure, I do. What are we doing right now? What are we doing on the phone? Oh what no! I, we, okay. Honestly, like, <laughs> what's on the phone? <laughs> Not Trinidad and Tobago. I, I I I refuse to answer questions like this. I can only make myself look stupid. <laughs> And I and I recognize by not answering, I it, my stupidity is, is I acknowledged. Just an unexpected geographic trivia time. Yeah, no, I don't want to say something like Sweden, and you're like Sweden. Trinidad <laughs> into oh, with that. How about the chat? See, I can't confirm if the chat is cheating. That's the only thing because I do, would not have guessed that it was actually the closest nation. We do have. If you are listening and trying to play along, I'm going to give up the answer in about five seconds. So if you still want to guess, pause it and come back to it. But the closest nation to Trinidad and Tobago is Venezuela, and it is the uh, I think it's the southernmost of uh, of the of the chain of islands. The you know I don't I don't know if it's an, an archipelago uh, because it's not one nation, but yes, it's all the way down. It's further south than Aruba. Um, 
Trivia time. What is the capital of Venezuela? No, I'm just kidding. But I did. I do actually know it. It's it's uh, Caracas. I, I, I could have got that one. No, you stop. I swear to God. Come on, man. I swear to God on two of my three children. I would have gotten Caracas. Okay, then I'm going to ask you another one right now. Okay. You learn it when you're eight years old. Capital of Honduras. Come the on, funnest man. one. It's the most fun one to say. The capital of Honduras. The capital of Honduras is what? Uh, Piscataway, Tegucigalpa. I never know. I have Tegucigalpa. never Tegucigalpa. It's the it's the it's the most entertaining world capital to say out there. I, you never, had Venezuela, so I figured you would have had Honduras. I've never heard of that place. Tegucigalpa? No, <laughs> I've never heard of that place. Come on, man. I thought how, it was Piscataway. How do you know Venezuela's capital then? It felt like it was in a movie or something. <laughs> I must have saw it in a movie, but I knew it. It popped into my head. I knew that. Uh, I wish Kenny Payne was from there. This would have been so much easier. Teguchi Galpa? No, Caracas. <laughs> Caracas. I wish Kenny Payne was from Caracas. It would have been so much easier. He's not. Jerome Tang is from Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, so shouts to, to TNT there. You know, getting a little geography. Uh, I actually, We can actually search this out. I'm not going to do it live on the podcast. Find out if we actually have any listeners and downloads in, in Trinidad and Tobago, in Caracas, in Venezuela. Or in Honduras. We can actually find that out. Man, I, I really hope. What if we, we find out we're massive in Caracas? We could be. For and all we know. Have, and then we have to go there and do a live, a live <laughs> show in Caracas. I don't know if that's going to be on the table. Uh, but those can't, are your... Can't rule it out, though. Can't uh, rule it out. Tang, uh, one last thing on Tang. He He's stepping into a spot here, Kansas State, where I do think it's a good fit. Big 12 is such a tough league. Obviously, the, the league will expand here soon with BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF joining the Big 12 over the next one to two years there. So you'll get a little more bloat. Um, but he's got, a, he's got a great shot at succeeding. It is a tough job. Kansas State has a proud history, probably one of the more underrated histories. Uh, if you really look at what Kansas State has done over the years, it's a more accomplished program than I think some people realize. Uh, but that's a really nice fit. And those is Shire, Payne, Tang. The three coaches with no head coaching experience that were hired to power conference jobs uh, overall. Oh, one more quick thing on Shire. Just a question for you. We asked last year, uh, cause I got asked this on CBS sports radio last year. We did the kind of coaches who's going to be in a better spot five years from now, Duke post K UNC post Roy. And when we did that, the coaches hundred plus that we pulled 71, 29 in fa favor of Shire said so Duke would be in a better spot. That was before either had coached a game. Now Shire still hasn't coached a game. We've seen, we've seen what he's done on the recruiting trail. We have seen what Hubert has done in a year. Would you still have it, even though it wasn't our opinion? It was coaches 71-29 split. Do you think it's more likely that maybe drifts to 60-40, 55-45, Shire over, over Davis? It seems a little bit more, right? Maybe a little tighter than we might have thought? That gap would close. I mean, just let's just think of it, you know, practically. Hubert's coming off a national title game, and if everybody comes back except Brady Manick, he's got a preseason top five team. Like, so the first two years could be, I mean, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't. Yeah, could I mean, be all Hubert. It could be back-to-back -back Final Fours. It could. He could win the title next year. What are we talking about? He could win the title next year. I mean, I've got North Carolina second in the top 25 and one right now based on everybody coming back except for Brady Manning because none of those guys, Caleb Love, uh, Armando Baycott, none of them are projected first-round picks. I'm just assuming when they start asking real questions, they're going to find out they can make more money at North Carolina than they can make playing professional basketball next season. And so why, why would you leave unless you just hate school? Um, you know, I I, should we ask that question again this summer just to see what the response? Because we, we won't ask the same coaches. 
Some might double, but I usually try and get a, a fresh new batch every year, so I don't repeat. I think we might consider asking that and see what the split is. I bet I you think Shire would win. I do too. But I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's above. I don't think it's above sixty five percent if we do it. So. I, I, yeah, I think the gap closes, but I still still think it's Shire, and I and I don't think that's an indictment of Hubert Davis. I think it's. I mean, John Shire right now is operating with the number one ranked recruiting class in back to back years. Um, you know. <laughs> That guy's set up to – if you do that, you're set up to succeed. It's possible to not win big with number one recruiting classes, but guys who have them usually do. Agreed. All right, you want to talk uh, that and Sean? Yeah, so there's two coaches of these 13 power conference coaches who are returning to places where they previously coached. Thad Mata is back at Butler. Sean Miller is back at Xavier. Um, these things don't always go as well as – some people assume that they will. I think the assumption often is he won there before he'll win there again. Uh, but, but, you know, recently uh, Dave Lato, you know, went back to DePaul, you know, he was good enough at DePaul to get the Virginia job. Then went back to DePaul and, you know, it just didn't happen. DePaul. Well, he didn't do as well at DePaul his second time as he did his first time. That's that's true, right? It's fair. No, it's fair. Yeah, I'm just I'm just saying DePaul yeah. is almost an entity to itself. But no, I'm I'm actually intrigued by this. You got other examples? Um, how did Larry Shiat do his second trip to Wy- second time at Wyoming? Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, I guess just say you you assume this guy won here once upon a time. He'll win here again. I think uh, I think it's a, a perfectly reasonable perspective. But there are examples where it just doesn't happen that said like i think that modern sean miller are two excellent basketball coaches and the butler job in the big east is just it's it's not it's not an easy job like it's it's not an easy job in that league uh but xavier good coaches have won at xavier forever and sean miller's a good coach he won there before i think he'll win again I think that'll win at Butler. I think Sean will win at Xavier. I think both of these these hires will work out probably just fine. Let's go to the Shire Davis one. You got to pick one five years from now. What program's in a better spot? Just even if it's narrow, what which one would you lean? I'd probably go Xavier, only Same. because I just think it's I think it's easier to win at Xavier in the Big East than it is at Butler in the Big East. Yeah, and you know, I hope Thad Mata is healthy enough to coach for a decade plus. But there's also that element too. He had to step away because of his health. And he says he's good now, but there's just different. Xavier's a better job, better spot. Both of these schools are in different scenarios than they were when these guys coached them the first time around, though. I mean, that's obvious. When Sean was there at Xavier, did a great job, but Xavier was an Atlantic 10 school. And I mentioned this earlier, but he was 120 and 47 in the A-10 coaching at Xavier. Thad was only at Butler for one year before before he moved on and uh and was able to uh to get the xavier job himself trivia time when Mata coached at butler what conference was butler in this is a tough one you might not get this it is a conference that its name no longer exists right but the conference still does exist it just changed names the caracas league I actually read this in your capsule. I just oh, don't. I, I, how about this? I no longer remember it and had never heard of it. 
I I had faint memories. Of, it was technically before it was the Horizon League. It was the Midwestern Collegiate Conference, which existed for just a few years before it became Horizon League. That's what Butler was in when Thad Mata was there. Since then, Butler has gone on quite the journey uh, on its way, you know, to the A10 and now into the Big East. It's a tough deal there, but man, this is super fascinating. I think Sean Miller has a chance. Has a chance. And again, reminder. I. Did we mention this on a pod? I can't remember. I feel like we might have mentioned it briefly. Uh, he will get, I think he will get suspended next year. But from all I'm told, like Xavier did all of its diligence. Actually, its athletic director was until recently on the damn committee on infractions, which probably helped Sean Miller's case of even getting hired because they needed to know that they knew everything they needed to know. And I think that his suspension will not exceed six games. Some believe it might only be two or three. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's going to be crazy. He's only charged directly with head coach responsibility. Correct. I mean, I, I think, I, I think this is true. Um, he was overseeing a program that was running super wild, but they haven't been able to tie a lot of it to him. And so he's got a head coach responsibility charge, and I, I, I assume that will result in a suspension. But I don't think he's like I, I don't think he's going to get like a. I don't think it's going to be lengthy. I think you'll blink and it'll be over. It will not be long. And for the big picture, uh, this could be, it could be a scenario. I'm not saying it will, but if you told me Sean Miller was there 15 years and, you know, really made Xavier a top, an annual top four power in the Big East, I'd believe it. I, 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 of all the head, I, I'll tell you this. Of the 13 we are talking about, I am saying that I think the most likely to be the best coach over the longest period of time at one school, I think it's Sean Miller. I think he is the hire that is most likely to be the most successful. I, I It's narrowly ahead of Thad, narrowly ahead of Shire. You know, if you want, I think Mike White has got a good chance at, at Georgia, Jans. You know, we got to get to Sheen, Sheen Holloway at Seton Hall in a second. But I think Sean Miller, if you want to put it in these terms, bluntly, plainly, he was the best hire when you consider everything that goes with it. He has immense coaching experience. He has succeeded at that university, albeit in a lesser conference. He has succeeded at the power conference level. He's won more than 420 games. He's made, you know, 11, 12 NCAA tournaments, won 73% of his games. To me, all things considered, Thad Mott has got a little bit better record, but how long will he coach? How tough is Butler versus Xavier? It's narrow, but to me, Sean Miller was actually the best hire of any made in the cycle. Well, here's the issue there is that if you're John Shire and you kill it at Duke, you're not leaving Duke. You're just the coach at Duke. If you're Kenny Payne and you kill it at Louisville, you're not leaving Louisville. You're just going to be the coach at Louisville. If you're Sean Miller and you kill it at Xavier, do you leave again? I don't know. That I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Sean Miller could have a certain things, you know, temperature could change three years from now versus what. Oh, I'm I sure promise might. you. Once he gets a four game suspension and starts killing it at Xavier, if you're a big boy, like top right. team job in America that wants to try to hire him. You'll say he had a, he had some assistance running wild. He wasn't directly involved. He only got a head coach responsibility. And that was so long ago. Doesn't even really matter. Now that'll be very, totally, he could totally right now. I think Sean Miller is eternally grateful to have had this. He sat for a year, got back in and got a job like Xavier. Right. Unthinkable a year ago. Now if we go three years into the future, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying this to stir up. I'm just saying it's not unthinkable. 
three years into the future. Sean's gone to three straight NCAA tournaments, made a couple of second weekends. He's doing well. And then the Kentucky Cal era is fading. Obviously, Sean Miller in that kind of situation would be a, a he would be a candidate for a Kentucky level job. So to your point, it's not unthinkable. But if you told me that he was going to be at Xavier for the remainder of his career and he was happy there, I'd buy that too. All right, let's move on to, I think we've touched on 11 of the 13 power conference coaches. So two guys we haven't really spent much time on are loosely connected or directly connected. Uh, Kevin Willard at Maryland. He's the former Seton Hall coach. One of his assistants was Shaheen, Shaheen Holloway, who, of course, just took St. Peter's on that magical run to the Elite Eight. He's now the new head coach at Seton Hall. Here's a question. Which one is employed longer, Kevin Willard at Maryland or Shaheen Holloway at Seton Hall? Not which one does it. Who just who's got the who keeps? Can this? we get that in a poll on the YouTube chat, Nada? See what the people watching think in real time here. Uh, here's the resumes for each. Willard, two seventy and two ten in his career. He's won fifty six percent of his games which is it's it's not the fewest like holloway's career holloway's 64 and 57 so like he hasn't coached as many years so holloway's win percentage is technically lower the coaches who have never coached a game technically lower dennis gates 50 and 40 um nearly it's right in that ballpark there the point is you know, if you would have told Maryland fans, hey, listen, you're going to get Mark Turgeon and the coach that you're going to replace him with is going to have a career win percentage of 56% and have one NCAA tournament win, they would not have accepted that on at face value. Now, I do think Maryland fans are embracing Kevin Willard. They think there's a chance there, but he's one in five in the tournament. Holloway, he did a thing last month. <laughs> he, he, he did a good job at St. Peter's and then Obviously, the job might have been his if they did not even beat Kentucky, just so we're clear on this, okay? It felt like that was where this was going behind the scenes. Not guaranteed, but he got St. Peter's to the tournament, and that might have been enough. The fact, and oh, by the way, I don't know if this has been reported, but just to show you how how the NCAA tournament is life-changing for a person, temperature-changing for a program, got told by two unconnected sources in this over like a six day period. So I got this told first, like five days ago. And then another person told me yesterday, St. Peter's and it's boosters who, whomever these people are, it's alumni, whatever they actually rallied. They, this is St. Peter's Holloway was making. I don't know what he was a two twenty five, two fifty. It was in that they, range. I believe. Yeah. They rallied him to make a million per year at St. Peter's on a new deal. That is, it is, it's, it's, it's akin to, I don't even know what, because like these big programs, if you really made them do it, they would do it. But it's like, it's like saying that you're going to pay Bill Self 50 million a year at Kansas. That's really what that means at the St. Peter's level, that they actually got it to a million per year. Now he had to take the Seton Hall job. He's making much more than that. And it's his alma mater. It's a step up, but uh, credit to everyone around St. Peter's. They've actually, they lured away, not for a million a year, but they lured away Bashir Mason from Wagner, who has done a good job over the past decade. So St. Peter's has filled, it filled officially in the past 24 hours. Um, but good on St. Peter's. I, I, you have success like that in the tournament. It just changes the dynamic in so many ways. It means so much. I am now going to answer your question. <laughs> 
Uh, mark me down for Shaheen Holloway to have a more successful run at Seton Hall than Kevin Willard at Maryland. And part of that is everything that comes with the Maryland job versus everything that comes with the Seton Hall job. I'm going to buy into what I just saw with Shaheen. Kevin Willard did a really good job at Seton Hall. I want to be clear on that. He he got Seton Hall back to a place where it needed to be. He did his job. He was a successful coach at Seton Hall. He deserved to have a bigger opportunity. He just didn't have the success in the tournament there. But my answer is Shaheen. What is your answer? Same. And it's got nothing to do with the coaches as much as it's or very little to do with the coaches as much as the jobs. Like Kevin Willard just went to the NCAA tournament in five of the past six years at Seton Hall. He could have continued coaching there forever. Mark Turgeon went to five NCAA tournaments in a six-year span. In a six-tournament span. Did he really? Yeah. From mm. 2000, he, and he, he made the tur- round of 32 in 2015, Sweet 16 in 2016, uh, round of 64 in 2017, missed it in 2018, round of 32 in 2019, no tournament in 2020, round of 32 in 2021. And then was walked away eight games into the following season. My point is this. What Kevin Willard just did at Seton Hall will get you fired at Maryland. It'll get you contract extensions at Seton Hall. It'll get you fired at Maryland or pushed out at Maryland. It'll lead to you being miserable at Maryland. Like, if you take Kevin's last six seasons at Seton Hall, and Turgeon's last six seasons at Maryland before the start of this past season. Turgeon had a better six-year run than Kevin Willard did. And yet he was always on the hot seat, um, never em- truly embraced by that fan base, either right or wrong, and ultimately decided, I, I, I don't want this anymore. Mm-hmm. What success looks like at Seton Hall is vastly different than what success looks like at Maryland. And that whole... But we're getting the NCAA tournament every year. Yeah, Mark Turgeon got to the NCAA tournament just about every year once he got that thing going, which you know doubles its once mellow tremble enrolled. And uh, it wasn't good enough. And you know, I, I think Shaheen's got a better chance of being consistently successful relative to Seton Hall's standards than Kevin has being consistently successful relative to Maryland standards. And that's because Maryland standards are, are really, really high. And like, I don't want this to get twisted up. Like, I, I literally on the day Mark Turgeon resigned, who did I say I thought would be the next Maryland coach? Do you remember, Dedleck? I think. Uh, did you have the Did you have the mayor of Caracas? Is that what you had? Mm-mm. No, he was top three though. He was top three. Well, of course, I, top three. I think you. I think you had good old Kev Willard. I did. I said Kevin Willard. I said Kevin Willard will be the next coach at Maryland. I, I didn't think he'd be the first option at Maryland, but I thought he'd be the next. I, he was the guy that they would target who they could actually get. And so here we are. So I think he's good. But like what he did at Seton Hall will get him fired at Maryland. Now, I, the counter argument is, yeah, but it's easier to win bigger at Maryland than it is at Seton Hall. And I agree with that. But, um, you know, that, 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 that Maryland fan base is they're intense, boy. You better be really good or else it gets really hard. It will. Yeah. And he could wind up being, you know, the most successful. I'm, I, that's always on the table there. It'll be interesting to go back and, you know, as I do, uh, heads up next week, I 
I grayed out the hires four year post. So I will grade out the 2018 hiring cycle. Now that they've had four years to coach, some coaches aren't even there anymore. But uh, when we look four years from now, which coaches wind up having uh, the best marks and which wind up do not having the best marks overall. But I would lean Holloway. Um, that'll be just exciting to see him uh, get to coach Seton Hall there. And in, and just on, on the note, in the Big East, by the way, in the Big East, between Thad, Shaheen, and Sean Miller, those three coaches, this is from John Paquette, uh, excellent comms chief, long time in the Big East. Those three coaches are a combined 925 and 367. That is, they've combined to win 72% of their games with 25 NCAA tournament appearances, nine elite eights, and two final fours. The Big East, we talk plenty about the SEC, for sure. A lot of good stuff there. But from a storyline perspective in the Big East, you've got uh, three guys going home, if you will. You know, not directly home, but, you know, Thad returns to Butler, where he started his head coaching career. Sean returns to Xavier, where he started his head coach career. And then Shaheen returns to Seton Hall, where he had his playing career. Some really good storylines happening there in the Big East Conference. So um, we touched on the 13 new power conference coaches. There are some significant hires outside of the traditional power structure. Among them, Frank Martin is the head coach at UMass now after a long run at South Carolina, previously at, at Kansas State. Why don't you walk us through some of the notable uh, hires from outside of the traditional power structure? Yeah, we are at 54 changes this season. 51 have filled. As of now, we need Wagner to fill, Elon to fill, South Carolina State to fill. I think those are the three that have to fill. Of the mid-majors that filled, I'd say these were among the most notable. I'm not going to go through every single one, but yes, Frank Martin to UMass. Uh, he has he has the second most wins of anyone I'm going to mention here. 288, won 59% of his games, 10 and 5 NCAA tournament record. He only went to one tournament at South Carolina, and he made the final four. Just completely fascinating. But Frank Martin to UMass is just real quick. I mean, that's another one where behind the scenes that AD was like scrambling, and he got Frank Martin. Talk about a win like that. I don't know if we're gonna we're gonna debate if anyone else got a bigger win. But you can argue UMass kind of out of nowhere winds up with as splashy a hire as any at the mid-major level. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, I don't know what Frank's realistic options were other than, like, sit out and see if something could pop. But, you know, I think UMass was about the best type of job he was going to be able to get. Um, and I don't think UMass could possibly hire anybody um, more accomplished uh, than Frank. So it's a good fit. I mean, that UMass job is hard. Nobody's really done anything there since John Calipari was there, you know, and he left in 1996. Uh, you know, the, 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 uh, there's been a long list of, of guys who have come through there and it just hasn't worked consistently. Well, maybe Frank can be the one to break that uh, cycle. Um, but he would have to be breaking a cycle that dates back nearly, if not completely to 1996. I'll stick in the A-10 real quick before doing a quick tour around the country. Uh, I will note Chris Caputo, not a splashy hire, longtime assistant. Speak for yourself. That is a splashy hire from my perspective. I love Caputo. He's you know, great. I'm saying he's not among like the six or seven biggest names at the mid-major. But George Washington, which I think is the most interesting job in the A-10 because of where it's located, is an underperforming program historically. Maybe Caputo. Knows the area. Again, longtime assistant at Mason and then helped guide Miami to an Elite Eight this season under Larinaga. He's an ad there for the A-10. And then the two other big names, you've got Fran Dunphy. Fran Dunphy, who is the most accomplished coach of any at the mid-major that was hired. He's got 580 career wins, 
has a 640 win percentage. He has a 3-17 and 17 all-time NCAA tournament record, but he made 17 tournaments at Penn and Temple. He made it to the tournament 17 times. That's incredible. He was the athletic director at LaSalle, um, and it's, it's just him. He's giving it a go. I think he's 73. Not a long-term hire here, but Fran Dunphy is just one of the gentlemen of this game. I mean, the, the fact, best. Come the on best. now. Everybody loves him. Come on. The fact that he's getting back on the sideline is just, it's just incredible. So I'm, I don't know if this is going to be a good thing for LaSalle. Ultimately, it might be if you're LaSalle, by the way, that's the other thing is it's, it probably has the worst financial situation of any athletic department in that conference and getting a, a viable coach is not an easy deal. If, if Dunphy can get you to a point where you're not in the bottom three or four in the standings, you look up in two or three years, you make a change, you get a good up-and-comer, maybe you can change your situation there. Not easy, but LaSalle gets dumped. And then, of course, I mean, this it's either Frank Martin or it's this guy in terms of the biggest hire at the mid-major level, Archie Miller, vacillated for a few days. He decides to go. URI um, decides to really pony up. Thor Bjorn, the AD, really gave a financial commitment that was heavy, and so he's going to return to the A-10. Previously, Archie Miller was 139 and 63 in six seasons at Dayton. He has a four and four in still tournament record, 206 names to his 206 wins to his name in his career, and won 63% of his games. JP, talk about your all-time. Like there are a few programs here where they 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 fired the previous coach and the guy you get coming in. I mean, if you're a real if you're a URI fan, you have Archie Miller coming in. Uh, well, after what he did in this conference at Dayton. You got to be super fired up. It was a it was a good march in this regard for the Atlantic Ten, right? There's no question. Um, listen, I know Rhode Island like stepped up financially and made this a situation where Archie felt comfortable. But if you would have told me on the day Arch was fired from Indiana, um, his next job will be, and then you said uh, better or worse than the Rhode Island job, I would have said better. Yeah, I would have thought he. And now again, Rhode Island changed the, uh, you know, changed the stuff connected to his job. It, it, it the job that uh, Arch took is probably a better job than David Cox took, right? Mm -hmm. But I would have th Archie seemed like to me somebody who could get another power conference job after sitting out a year or maybe two. But maybe not, you know, like he knows he knows more about what was possible for him than I do. I was just if you'd have told me on the day he got fired because he didn't run it into the ground at Indiana. I know he didn't do what they wanted him to do, but he didn't run it into the ground. They're about to get the Internet right now so fast. <laughs> 6G, 6G coming. I, I, the Internet's been out <laughs> for a little while. I don't know if you saw how Indiana season ended, but the Internet's been they're having some they buffering a little bit. They're buffering a little bit. But I'm sure it'll be fine. Trace Jackson Davis is probably coming back. I'm sure it'll be fine. You'll have the internet back. I'm confident in that. Um, I, I would have just thought he could have probably gotten another power five, like low bottom half power five job. Um, so I was a little surprised that he that he he's the, I'm so a little surprised he's the head coach of Rhode Island. But like, I think he'll do well at Rhode Island. I think he's really good. 
Yeah, I've, as a Connecticut resident, I am enjoying the fact that now uh, Frank Martin and Archie Miller are drivable distance. That'll be some good offseason uh, potential profile fodder. Good stuff. Okay, co- quickly, Travis Steele, if you if you missed it, he is now the coach at Miami University, not the University of Miami, Miami University in Ohio. Uh, he got fired at Xavier, and he is a workhorse supreme, and uh, he gets a gig, so good for him. Steve Prome is going to return to Murray State. He uh, has 200 wins to his name. When he was at Murray, 104 and 29 in four seasons. That's a four and four in Sibley tournament record. If you're Murray State, you got to love that. And you're making the leap to the Missouri Valley. Um, Prome told me that was a significant factor in deciding to actually return. So similar to some other guys we mentioned who have returned to places they once were, Steve Prome does that as well. Good get for Murray State as it prepares to jump leagues. And then last one. I didn't think this was going to be the case. Steve Lavin is going to be a head coach in men's college basketball again. I thought I thought Lavin was a tremendous analyst. And you know what? If you still want, this is further proof that some of these guys, they have an itch that needs to be scratched here. Lavin has not coached since 2015. He also took a 20, he had a seven-year hiatus, 2003 to 2010. In the middle of that, he worked at ESPN. Obviously, he was at Fox in this past one, but he's going to San Diego. And that's another search process that was a bit of a calamity behind the scenes. The AD winds up really falling backward into something and getting, I don't know if Lav is going to, if Lav can do for San Diego, what Golden did for San Francisco and just get him into that top three, top four conversation, maybe a squeak into an NCAA tournament. You've done your job. That can't, have you been to that campus before? No, it is outrageous. I've been to the city. I love the city. It's an outrageous campus. In fact, some, some, some believe the reason why San Diego isn't ever as good as it should be is because of, how, of what the campus is and where it's located. Because it's just an amazing, amazing place to live your life there. So Lavin, I'm told, really uh, similar to Arch, like I'll do this, but you got to commit and you know salaries for staff and all that. They get it done. He has an 11, eight, 11 and eight NCAA tournament record. Won 63 percent of his games as a coach. Um, some intrigue in the WCC, no doubt about it. You know, Golden now leaves. We'll see if San Francisco can c- continue. They promoted from within. Um, so we'll see. So those were the, the splashiest hires at the mid-major level, in my opinion, and some good ones too. I think some of these guys will work out, but as always, we'll have to wait and see. Before we get out of here, let me ask you a question, Deadleg. <laughs> 71 minutes in, fire away. By the way, this is outrageous. I mean, we should not be here for 71 minutes. But, you, but was this not... I think the listeners would agree this was an informant. We're not going to make a habit of this. This was just the one, all the coaching stuff, one episode, put a bow on it. I hear you, though. There is no scenario where I would listen to a college basketball podcast for 71 minutes and <laughs> after the, a week after the national title game. If you're here right now, God bless you. You literally just did. Yeah, but I didn't want to. I have to be but here. I'm, I'm giving you the scenario. I have to be here. It's my job. It's crazy, though. But I do appreciate everybody. Ask here. me this question. I'm let me definitely. ask you. Let me ask you a question. Are your go-to game day foods feeling uninspired? Next time, skip the usual suspects and order Jersey Mike's. At Jersey Mike's, they make every sub to order with premium fresh sliced meat and cheesesteaks are cooked on a flat top grill. So go download that app for delivery, curbside, or in-store pickup. Jersey Mike's is a proud sponsor of the Naismith Award and a proud maker of a sub above speaking of the Naismith award guess who won it Oscar Shibway just like he won every I won every award and I believe 
based off of Cal Tucker's tweets from The Athletic. He's the first Kentucky player to ever win every National Player of the Year award. Not that any of the other ones matter. The Naismith's the only one that matters. Well, the CBS Sports one also matters. Yes, yeah. the CBS Sports one and the Naismith. All the rest of them can go to hell, as far as I'm concerned. They can go straight to hell. This is a right? long criticism of mine, by the way. There's too many damn Player of the Year awards, but that's another topic altogether. It's another topic altogether. So Oscar Shibwe is your National Player of the Year. And now we're just waiting to see if he will come back to school. And I think most people believe that he's going to uh, because of something we've already talked about in this podcast, which is name, image, and likeness opportunities. Um, Oscar Shibway is this interesting is in this interesting situation where he's an incredible college basketball player, not really a great pro prospect, and he can probably make more money playing basketball at Kentucky next season than he could make playing anywhere else next season. And when you combine that with the fact that he would make Kentucky a preseason top five team and he would have to be the preseason national player of the year for everybody. I mean, how could the unanimous national player of the year come back to school and he's not the unanimous preseason national player of the year? Gotta be. And And then watch, and then watch, he won't even be the best player on his team. It'll be Shaden Sharp. (laughs) I mean, that's the first time I, we can get into that another time. Uh, yeah. No, I think Oscar Shibwe would be the best player on his team. I think yeah. Oscar Shibwe would once again be the best player in college basketball. And uh, for all of those reasons and perhaps more, uh, I am operating under the assumption that he's going to be back in school next season, which is obviously great for Kentucky and I think also great for college basketball. You could have a situation. Again, we'll get to this in the offseason or when we get these decisions. But, yeah, Shibwe would probably have to be the pick. But if you got like a Drew Timmy that returned – Shaden Sharp, 247 reported in the midst of us doing this podcast that he's declaring for the draft but not hiring agents. So that remains like some what, people- what, what, what I was going to say, I don't think he's going to play at Kentucky. Like, I would, yeah, but if he did, man, oh, man, he's a fun player. I know. I'm well, like, like I know Kentucky fans have remained optimistic and maybe he will. Maybe he will. I, I'm not. You know, it's Shaden Sharp on that Kentucky roster and we don't have to go down this road. But like, yeah, I hear you. I hear but you. Like, you know, top 10 picks don't usually. One of the arguments for not playing this season was you're already a projected top 10 pick. Why tr- why mess that up? All right? So why doesn't that logic hold true still? You're you're a projected top 10 pick. You what might you- still be one and like and like Oscar like the NIL money will be yeah. very legitimate next yeah, season. But, yeah. but That's, you know, you can I think yeah. I think NIL money in comparison to yeah. a projected second round pick and NIL money in comparison to a projected top 10 pick, those are two different situations. Uh, there are times when projected top 10 picks come back to school. If Shaden Sharp were to do it, he would not be the first. But it is a rare thing. And my operating assumption every offseason is anybody who's a projected top 10 pick is not going to play college basketball next season. I'd be happy to be proven wrong, but if you just assume every top 10 pick's going to enter and remain in every NBA draft, you'll be right way more often than you'll be wrong. Let's go have lunch. Jersey Mike's. That's right. I'm about to go get inspired. It's a sub above, dead leg. There we go. I, I am starving. Let's go. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Oscar Griffin, a 6'4 legend. Scored six points in 16 games for Baylor back in the 2009-2010 season. Shouts to Larnell. And thank you. Seriously, thank you, guys. What are we at here? 77 minutes? People loving it, by the way. Well, that's sweet. We're entertaining a nation. 
But this is not going to, I swear, this is not going to be a habit. This was a special kind of one-off coach's carousel. Yeah, it's, supposed to, it's supposed to be the off-season, dead leg. I'm supposed to be catching... I'm supposed to be catching up on TV time and playing golf, not sitting here talking about Archie Miller. <laughs> I, 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 well, <laughs> talking about Archie Miller for I, 77 I, I, minutes. Hey, hey, listen, I, I caved in on the severance hype. So I'm three episodes in. Have you, have you started? No, but I'm going to, you know yeah. what I just, you know yeah. what I just, it, Black I, Mirror vibes, kind of, just so you know. Yeah, no, I'm definitely starting it. I've got a whole list of things I'm starting. You know what? I just started and I'm behind on it. And I'm, I hate that I'm behind on it, but I was a little skeptical that it, it, it looked cheesy. But uh, the other night I just decided, my wife and I were just sitting around like the kids are asleep. I was like, hey, let's just watch, see what's going on here. Winning time yeah, on I'll HBO. Get, I'll get there. It's really fun. So I'm like three episodes in now. Can't wait to get caught up on that. Totally caught up on Atlanta. Do you watch Atlanta? No. It's I mean, I'm willing to, but I, I got so many shows to get. I'm I, I'm doing Severance, and I'm doing uh, I'm doing um, Mayor of Easttown right now. I'm three episodes in. Okay, I've got to I've got to get caught up on Ozark, which I'm not. I'm I'm, I'm out on Ozark. Yeah. I just I'm, I've invested so much you're, time. You're pot committed. I get it. Yeah, I get yeah it. I'm pot committed. I just got to get the. Um, I want to finish. I want to get caught up on Winning Time. Atlanta, I cannot recommend enough. It's it's like. Uh, at this point, more art than television show. I'm not trying to get all TV critic on you, but it's incredible. Um, and I want to, yeah, and then I'm going to start Severance. That's going to be the next one I start. Everybody loves it. Too much hype. I bet. I, and my wife actually went in on it. And she's not like, my wife won't watch Black Mirror with me, but she's in on it. And she's she's liking it so far. I don't know where it's headed, but it's, it's, it's a different show for sure. So thank you guys for being here for, Longer than we thought we were going to be here. Appreciate you, and we will catch up with you. And we'll see. We'll tweet you. We'll see. We'll, yeah, we'll see. Keep you in we'll, suspense. Well, yeah, keep it. It's a mystery. We'll all find out together. We'll talk to you again sometime soon, though. Till then, take care. Okay. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.